दिल की बस्ती पुरानी दिल्ली है जो भी गुजरा है उसने लूटा है हेलो एंड वेलकम यू आर लिसनिंग टू अ टाइम्स स्पेशल टुडे वी विल कंटिन्यू आवर जर्नी ऑफ द रीटेलिंग ऑफ द 1857 अपराइजिंग डिसमिस्ड एज अ सिपाही म्यूटनी बाय द ब्रिटिश बट हेल्ड एज द फर्स्ट वॉर ऑफ इंडिपेंडेंस बाय नेशनलिस्ट्स In this episode we will look at the battle royal that was fought in the streets and bylanes of Delhi starting from what was the outer fringes of Delhi of 1857 Badli Gaon and the civil lines in the north of the city The battle finally reached the heart of the Mughal capital the Qila-e Muwalla or Lal Qila in September 1857 The Qila is also called the red fort the bloody war fought between the british forces and the rebels reached a peak that is hard to imagine now heavily fortified the lal qila was a formidable structure to recapture for the british who for four months were kept at bay to the outside of the city the fight was intense gory and bitter You get a small glimpse of how grim the battle was from the fact that it took British a week to advance from Kashmiri Gate to the Red Fort a distance of barely 6 kilometers. This podcast is based on a recounting of the uprising from numerous historical sources which are mentioned in the notes. Creative liberties have been taken to reconstruct some of the crucial incidents from the rebellion though the basis of the incident remains rooted in facts. It was May 11, 1857, a hot, dusty day in Delhi. People were about their routine business. It was the month of Ramzan, and those observing the fast were busy preparing for the evenings. Delhi and its king, Bahadur Shah Zafar, were unaware of the mutiny of sepoys of the Bengal army in Meerut the day before. Surprisingly, even the British had no inkling of what had happened in Meerut. The city of Delhi had no British units of the East India Company forces in residence at the time. Only 3 Bengal native infantry regiments were stationed in barracks in the northwest of the city. They provided guards and other details to a main guard building just inside the city walls near Kashmiri Gate, which was the magazine or the British ammunition depot. Living in the city were East India Company officials like the commissioner of Delhi as well as British and European civilians. Most lived in the civil lines. The only other Britishers were those manning the telegraph lines located near the Kashmiri Gate. Bhago! Bhago! Purbi aaye hain! Are wait wait. Why are you running? What happened? The sepoys have come from Meerut. They say they have defeated the British army there and will kill all the Frangis in Delhi too. There are thousands of men coming. Run for your life. Run. What lies are you saying, boy? There is no war here. Are where are you running off to now? Bhen ghar chali jao. It's not safe to be out right now. The mutineers from Meerut have arrived in Delhi. <gasps> They are going around identifying British houses and sympathizers. Go home. By nightfall of May 11, the Europeans in Delhi 
were in a bad shape. Some escaped, some were prisoners in the palace, but many had been killed by their own men, all while trying to escape. <laughs> Salam Shuklaji. We are going to the Qila to beg for an audience with the Badshah. Are you coming with us? Of course, Yusuf Bhai. I have long dreamt of seeing the Badshah. I'm sure he will be overjoyed to be reinstated as the Emperor of Hindustan and not just the King of Delhi. Anna? <laughs> of course. We will bring back glory to the Mughal Empire. It's our time to run out the Goras. <laughs> the audience with the King, Bahadur Shah Zafar, was not the wholehearted welcome that the sepoys had hoped for. The 82-year-old king, who had been a pensioner of the East India Company for decades, was not keen on joining a rebel army. The lack of respect by the sepoys, who had barged into the Qila, had already frazzled the frail emperor. An account of the events of 1857 by Zahir Dehalvi, a young poet and official in Bahadur Shah Zafar's court, called Dastani Ghadir, recounts how the sepoys yelled for the emperor instead of speaking to him with decorum. A shocked and shaken Hakim Asanullah, personal physician to Zafar and a confidant, pleaded to the sepoys. The emperor has neither troops, magazine or treasury and he is not in a position to pay you. You are used to regular British salary. The sepoys replied, We will bring you the treasury of the entire country. Just lend us the legitimacy of the Emperor's name. On 12th May, Bahadur Shah held his first formal audience in several years. Although the King was dismayed by the looting and disorder, he gave his public support to the rebellion. He was crowned the Emperor of Hindustan. Mirza Mughal, Bahadur Shah Zafar's eldest surviving son, was put in charge of the sepoys who numbered over 40,000 at one point in the uprising. Even as the rebels tried to bring some order, out in the streets, it was mayhem. Delhiites were not happy to see the rebels, whom they disparagingly called Purbiyas. Teaching in the Department of History at the University of Delhi, Professor Anirudh Deshpande says, It would be prudent to conclude that Bahadur Shah Zafar uh, first tried his best to not allow the sepoys to come into the city by closing as many gates as possible. But uh, it seems a large number of people had gone out from the Rajghat gate towards the Yamuna to perform their morning ablutions, their bathing and uh, so on and so forth. Because of which the gate remained open and the sepoys then stormed into the gate from there. The gate which sometimes we call Delhi Gate nowadays, which was the Rajghar kind of, you know, that, that area. Because they first tried to enter from the uh, northern side, but the gates were shut. And actually there was a bridge and they crossed the bridge. While crossing the bridge, they managed to assassinate a few Mughal officials who tried to stop them. So it was not as if the uh, city was extremely welcoming towards these rebels who had come from uh, Meerut. Desh Pandey, who has authored several books on Indian history, adds that Delhi's inhabitants, much like their king, were appalled at the rebellion army camping in the city. Even as the residents came to grips with the events unfolding, most British civilians had left town or been killed. 
except for 52 women and children who were imprisoned in the Red Fort. They were later killed by the rebels, despite the king's orders to protect them. Those still manning strategic points, like the arsenal depot as well as the magazine, were desperate not to let the ammunition and gunpowder fall in the hands of the rebels. Number one priority was the magazine. But as the rebels' forces increased, and some of the residents also started helping them, the nine officers from Ordnance Corps turned their guns on their own troops and the mob. After five hours, they had run out of ammunition. In desperation, they blew up the magazine. The force of the blast was so great that those sitting in the Red Fort thought an earthquake had occurred. Most of the mobs and rebels, including several British officers, died, with only three surviving. These three managed to escape. Luckily for the rebels, though, the arsenal depot outside the city walls had fallen into their hands. The 3,000 barrels of powder were enough to sustain the mutineers for three months against the forthcoming counter-attacks of the British. As the battle were being fought between the handful of British soldiers and East India Company officials and the rebels, two young signalmen, William Bendish and I.W. Pilkington, posted in the telegraph office on Lothian Road near St. James Church, had managed the impossible. Before fleeing, they sent a brief warning of the disaster to Ambala late in the afternoon. The signalers were able to report only that Europeans had been killed before they signed off with the cryptic sentence, we are off. News of the events unfolding in Delhi were quickly sent by the British to their cantonments in Lahore, Rawalpindi and Peshawar in the Punjab and to a few other cantonments in Northern India, thus spreading word of the upheaval. With the liberation of the city, the rebel army set up a rudimentary government. These had to be staffed by personnel who were not hostile to the rebels. The Red Fort played a vital role as it had connections with the people of Delhi and knew the workings of the city's elite. The rebels soon realized that it was necessary to enforce order if they were to enlist the support of the residents of Delhi. A 12-point constitution called Dasturul Amal was established, listing out a court of administrations. The Court of Administration was written in Urdu, Hindustani, and English, a document remarkable for its time. A copy of the document is kept as part of the mutiny papers in the National Archives of India. As the king and his council set about bringing order, he wrote letters to chiefs and other rulers to come forward and organize a confederacy of Indian states to fight the Britishers. Achha, Yusuf, bhai. Aapko kya lagta hai? Will the Firangis come back? I don't think so. They even know that Delhi has been captured by us. <laughs> yes, we have outsmarted them. Now that the Badshah is with us, it won't be long before others join in our cause. Yes. In fact, I heard that the commanders are looking to increase our numbers. Regiments across the Bengal army have been asked to join the fight. We will surely win this war. Allah is with us. Yes, Mahavir will guide us.
News of the capture of Delhi by the rebels had reached the East India Company officials though. The British knew they could not afford to lose Delhi. If they lost the city, they would lose the empire. On May 15, Commander-in-Chief General George Anson and a force of some 6,000 men left for Ambala to organize the recapture of Delhi. The task was formidable. Anson had the troops, but little ammunition and no transport. Most of the ammunition had been stored in the great magazine at Delhi, which had been blown up. While at Ambala, Anson was offered help by John Lawrence, Commissioner of Punjab. Lawrence formed a body, the Delhi Field Force, comprising an assortment of military units that had remained loyal to the company in the region, along with contingents supplied by the princely states of Punjab. It was the Sikh troops and the Gurkhas and the other, you know, freebooters and irregulars which were raised in Punjab, uh, which came to Delhi with the uh, regular East India Company battalions to put down the mutiny and they were camped on the ridge where you have the mutiny memorial at the moment, which is very close to the university. Anson's force reached Karnal, some eight miles from Delhi, by May 30. Before Anson's unit could reach Delhi though, the general succumbed to cholera after handing over command to Sir Henry Bernard. On 8 June 1857, Accompanied by reinforcements from Meerat, Bernard met a force of mutineers some six miles from Delhi at Badali Kesarai on the Delhi Karnal Road. The rebels were defeated. The same day, the British troops occupied the Northern Ridge, a densely thicketed area in the north of Delhi, where the Delhi University is currently located. The following day, the rebels launched an unsuccessful attack on the ridge. With no rebels to protect the stretch between the ridge and the Yamuna River, the British captured Thomas Metcalfe's abandoned and pillaged residence on June 12. It was a tough time for the British though. Heat stroke and cholera took a heavy toll. General Bernard succumbed early in July and his successor was soon too ill to exercise command. It was soon obvious that the British were not strong enough to take Delhi. The force on the ridge numbered about 5,000 men, while the mutineers in the city had over 30,000, a figure increasing every day as more and more reinforcements came in. The military conflict entered a critical phase in the first week of July, when Bakht Khan assumed command of the rebel army. Bakht Khan, who had been a subedar in the artillery wing of the Bengal army, arrived in Delhi at the head of a large force from Bareilly in the beginning of July. He was to emerge as the foremost leader of the rebel administration and military organization. You were listening to a Times special. In the next episode, we will again visit Delhi to witness the final battle between the East India Company and rebels. 
This podcast was researched and scripted by Rumu Banerjee. Stay tuned for more podcasts on India's first war of independence.